0: We're returning once again this evening to Revelation chapter 12, Revelation the 12th chapter. Let's read the entire chapter together this evening, Revelation chapter 12. Let's hear God's word. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, Travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, For to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath the place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. "'Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea! "'For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, "'because he knoweth that he hath but a short time.' "'And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, "'he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. "'And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, "'that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place.' For she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman And went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And God will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. Let's bow for a moment in prayer. Please, let's all seek the Lord. Father in heaven, we're we're here tonight to hear what the Lord has to say to us. We need to be spoken to. There's always plenty of room for learning, understanding to grow, faith to be increased. We pray that thou wilt anoint thy servant with the Holy Spirit, hold him up tonight, give him the words, the thoughts, the application that will be most helpful to all who will hear this word, whether tonight or for perhaps years down the road. Make it a blessing, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're turning our attention once again to that... Verse 11, where John hears a loud voice proclaiming from heaven, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The subject I am taking from that text is overcoming the arch enemy of God's people. Whatever we might not understand about the mysteries of Revelation, one thing at least is clear, from this chapter, God's people are under continual attack from Satan. The very last verse of this chapter states that the dragon, we saw that was the devil last week, is making war with the church. She's called the remnant. The remnant. Of the woman's seed, which keeps the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why is the case? Why is, that? Why is, why is he the archenemy of God's people? Why is there this wrath that we read several times about tonight that he has toward the woman and her seed, toward the church? We will remember that Lucifer at one time was a holy angel. He was created a perfect being like all the other angels at the hand of God. There amidst all these bright angelic beings, there's one that stood out. Lucifer, son of the morning, one of the greatest and ablest and most powerful of them all. But something happened. There was what theologians refer to as a pre-cosmic fall. Before there was ever a universe brought into existence, there was a fall prior to the fall of man. That was the fall of these angels. Lucifer became ambitious. He was not satisfied with his position, even though he was one of the archangels. He wasn't satisfied with that being the son of the morning. He didn't like his position of subservience to Jehovah. And he desired to be as God himself. So he went to war against God. But he didn't go it alone. In addition to rebellion against God, Satan used his God-given powers... His God-given talents to persuade other angelic beings and powers and principalities to follow him in his rebellion against God. In verse 4, the great dragon uses his tail to draw the third part of the stars of heaven. Here is that symbolic language of Revelation describing what the devil did in his attempt to usurp the throne of God. He dragged down with him a third of those great beings. So here's the picture given. Satan and these angels fell. Somehow, and we don't know how, long before, I don't know that I could say long before, but definitely before there was ever sin in the garden, there was sin in heaven. Before there was sin in the garden, there was sin in heaven. Satan. Explanation? I have none. Created a perfect being. Yet in his heart, evil came about. He sought to rebel against God and overthrow the throne. Well, you know the story, according to the word of God. God cast him and the third of those angels right out. Ever since that time, Satan has been angry. Full of wrath. Motivated by this intense, infernal hatred for God. He has only one ambition to fight against God and destroy his works and besmirch his glory. That's all that he's after. Satan has watched God for. Oh, some 6,000 years, I would say. He's watched the Lord take these human beings, not angelic beings. These human beings who have rebelled against God with as much evil as he had in his heart when he rebelled against God. And he has watched God take these rebellious creatures and save them and turn them into saints that he brings to heaven with him. He didn't get that treatment. And he hates God with a passion that could only be ascribed to Satan for doing that. He was not shown mercy. So he's intent, therefore, on taking as many of God's creatures to hell with him as he can. He is intent on ruining God's work and God's people. So now God and his kingdom are fighting with the devil and his kingdom. That means that the devil has a plan a plan to defeat and destroy God's people, God's work. And in that plan, he has a supply of many weapons, many devices, many tactics that he uses to try and overcome, to defeat, to wreck and ruin the people of God. We face in many ways what the early Christians, what even the Christians of the 19th century never had to face. Up until the last 75 years or so, a Christian's home was something of a safe haven from the world. And a Christian church was something of a safe haven from the world. But now the world has come into the home and has come into the church. The world has come like a flood into the home many different ways, not only with newspapers and magazines and radios, but especially with the television and the Internet. It's quite astounding when you stop to think about it. But in the last 10 or 15 years satan has been able to do through those tools that he couldn't have done otherwise do you realize how many homes have been destroyed because of those things how many testimonies have been ruined how many ministers have had to resign from the ministry because of those tactics it's astounding because of this increasing wickedness in the world that Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24 was going to happen, lawlessness shall abound, he said in the last days, abound. Especially in the readiness of the wicked in this age to put it on full display for all to see, This war with Satan becomes particularly difficult for the Christian of our day if they're not going to go with the way of the world. We must understand the nature of the problem that we're facing. We have to realize that we are called in this Christian life to a real serious battle. We have not been called to a life of ease, to get as comfortable as we can, but to warfare. We've been appointed by God to wrestling matches. We've been we've been saved and brought into a struggle. It's Completely skewed thinking. Skewed. If we think that we're here to make it as easy and as comfortable as we can. The generation that we are seeing raised before us, the generation in the church needs to understand like never before shall we be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas last Lord's Day evening we only looked at the description of our arch enemy we said he was strong he was slanderous he was subtle The picture I painted of the devil was a very foreboding one, deliberately so, because we must know who it is we have to fight against, the one we have to overcome. He's all for coming across uh, to give himself the appearance of not being so strong and so subtle And so full of hatred. He doesn't want. A Christian to. Have those kinds of horrendous thoughts about him. Doesn't want him to learn how subtle he actually is. How deceptive he is. It's all part of the plan. Turn tonight from the description of our arch enemy to the design. Of this enemy. We, We said last Lord's Day he's. He's called here a dragon, to indicate that we're not only dealing with an enemy that's very powerful, but one that is aggressive and deadly. What a dragon was in Scripture, I have no idea. Neither do the Bible scholars. They all pontificate and put their ideas forth, but at the end of the day, who knows what a dragon actually was being referred to in Scripture. The Lord knows what he was, but whatever he was, whoever he was, he is vicious, mighty, strong, breathe fire, fearful. And that dragon, the picture there is, he would be a destroyer. So the devil wants to destroy. He wants to destroy, of course, the souls of men. He wants to see men perish in hell. He's quite happy with that. Doesn't cause him any grief. To see how populated. It's another one up for him. That's how he views it. But he also wants to wreck and ruin God's people in any way he can. Well, he can't destroy our souls... Because they are kept safe and secure in the hand of Christ, He can certainly overwhelm us and leave us feeling like we're destroyed. He can certainly ruin our testimonies, He can destroy ministries, He's destroyed churches. He's destroyed marriages. He's a destroyer. The great desire of Jesus Christ, His great purpose, is the perfect and complete salvation of all His people. John chapter 6 makes that clear. The Father has given to Him a people, and He will raise them up at the last day. None of them will perish. Right? It's going to happen. That's His... Aim, his goal, his target, he will get it. Now, if that is the 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 desire of Jesus Christ, you can be dead on sure that the reverse is true of the devil, who's the greatest enemy of Jesus Christ. He wants just the opposite of that to take place. Let me underscore several things which our arch enemy seeks especially to destroy and so leave the Christian confined to either a dungeon of defeat or a life of uselessness to Jesus Christ. The greater success he has in destroying these, these aspects, these elements of the Christian life, the greater is his success in wounding and weakening us in this daily battle we have for him. It has a lot, a lot to say about how you will go through the week when the attack comes and when the subtlety arises and the deception comes and the temptation comes. Let me tell you, folks, he just wants to wear you down. Just to wear you down. What does he want to destroy? Well, since he knows this has such tremendous power in the child of God's life, he aims to destroy your hope. Your hope in the Lord. My, if ever there is a call in the word of God from God to his people, it's hope in the Lord, trust in the Lord. That's the continual uh, call of God to all of his saints in any situation, hope in me. When we lose hope, we take a, a downward turn in our life. The hopelessness can pervade us and fill us with so much fear and dread, and we begin to believe the actual lies of Satan, because doubts are instilled in our minds. And you lose hope. You're a very easy target for all kinds of temptation. You say, what's the point? There is no hope. This is not going to change. This is not going to get better. I'm not going to get better. He's looking to destroy your hope in Christ. Your hope in Christ cross work you're depending on the blood that was shed you better believe me he hates the blood i have no doubt in my mind <laughs> no doubt in my mind he did not like hearing anything i said about the blood of jesus christ this morning nothing He goes about not only looking to destroy your hope, but he seeks continually to destroy your helps. I'm mainly referring not to those who would help you in your walk with the Lord, people, but those helps that we call the means of grace that God has given to us. They help us. They're designed to help us. We need to help. We need grace to deal with the devil. We need wisdom. We need knowledge. And that's going to come in the Word of God and in the place of prayer and in the house of God when we come to hear what God has to say to us. And Satan will try to destroy those helps. He will seek to bring an end to them in your life. He will seek to pull you away from them. Doesn't care what it is that takes. Just so you get off. (laughs) It's It's always struck me as Nothing but amazing at a time when I know it's critical for a time of prayer that there are 101 things that call me away from the throne of grace. And I'm aware of it when it's happening. Why is it so difficult to pray? How is that? Why is that? We all say we need to pray. We all would confess, I think, we, we need to pray every day. David said, morning, noon, and night, I will call upon thee. Three times a day. Daniel opened his window. Pray. We all know that. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray more than we do? Why do you think very few, very, very few churches actually have prayer meetings anymore? I mean prayer meetings. Amen. Why? Why is that? Why, why? Why do you think it would be viewed as absolutely strange by? I think. I, I don't even want to get a per, guess at a percentage number, but many Christians, at least, that if if the pastor spent. 10 or 15 minutes in prayer before his message, man, there's something wrong here. Why is that so odd? When for hundreds of years the pastoral prayer always marked the worship of God in the church? Why is that? The devil has been after all along to destroy any kind of prayer life of a church, of a home, of a believer. Because it's such a help. Isn't it it, it a wonderful thing in your own walk with God when you've come out fresh from meeting with God in the place of prayer? Isn't that a wonderful experience? You've not just said your prayers, you've met with God and God has met with you. You've been able to pour out your heart to him to confess your sins. He's touched your soul. He's drawn close to you. He's spoken to you from his word. And you go out of that place and you, you, you can face anything. It's revived your hope. It's deepened your faith in God. You have a tenderness toward the lord that may have been lost because of prayerlessness it's all restored again you're near the shepherd the devil knows that so the distractions come it's the phone it's the social media it's the facebook time for hours on Facebook, but not time for 10 minutes in the throne of grace. It's where we are, folks. This is where we are. We're talking about the Christian church. He wants to destroy those helps. He also seeks to destroy your heart and by that i mean the heart as that seat of love for christ his constant aim is to get you to leave your first love as was found in the church at ephesus in revelation chapter 2 you can be very fundamental orthodox defend the faith all of that I'd be commended for it, but yet the Lord says, I've got something against you. You've left your first love. And he does that by setting up these, uh, in opposition, affections for the things of the world. He's quite happy that Christians will get very tied up and planning and scheming to gain wealth and prestige and power, a good job, and they can make a lot of money and they get a nice home and a nice car and all that, because he knows if they're doing that, they will not have the time that they need to grow rich in the real riches in the spiritual treasure. Always takes the back seat when that happens, always takes a back seat. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he, he, he knows that text. Okay, I've got to get Christians to get taken up with laying up treasures on earth and make those things so important to them that they will lay aside seeking treasures in heaven. And you start living your life accordingly. No doubt in my mind, there are a ton of believers, because they have spent so much time and energy for six days of the week doing all of that, they can't drag themselves out of bed on a Sunday morning or Sunday night to get to church. They're too exhausted. They certainly can't read their Bibles, they certainly can't pray. Listen, folks, he's subtle. He also seeks to destroy our humility. Pride was the cause of Satan being cast down from heaven. And has been... The reason that many, an eminent believer has been cast down from a place of usefulness to the church. Pride has been the ruination of so many of the Lord's people. It's just hurt them. Paul warned Timothy about ordaining men for the office of elder who were too young and immature in the Lord Why? Because they would be exposed because of their immaturity to the sin of being puffed up with pride in their position of leadership in the church, of being an elder. And thus, he said, fall into the condemnation of the devil. Why in the world do you think the church in Corinth was having such a hard time of it? Such division, fighting, infighting, hurt relationships. There was division because there was pride. So he always is seeking to, well, it's one of two things beat us down to the ground and we feel absolutely worthless and valueless to the Lord, or, so often is the case, it's puff us up. And We become boastful, arrogant, condescending. There's a sweet, sweet smell in humility. There's a stench In pride. It's offensive. He also seeks to destroy, flowing on from that, our harmony. He knows, Jesus said, pointed out to the Pharisees when they said, You were casting out. The devils by the power of Beelzebub. Well, the devil knows that a house divided against itself cannot stand. He knows that. And so what is he trying to do continually? To bring about a, a disunity, to ruin the harmony between the Lord's people. I, you know, folks, I fully expect this to happen in this world around us of, of ungodly, wicked men. They are, they know nothing of what it is to be, to have the unity of the Holy Spirit, because they're lost. But that's not so with Christians. We have the Holy Ghost, and we have that which unites us, unifies us, and the devil would want to ruin that harmony. Divide and conquer. The Lord's all about bringing us closer together. It's like the spokes on the wheel, and Christ is the hub. The closer you get to Christ, the closer you get to each other. And the Lord is about that. But, you know, therefore, the devil is all about separating. He doesn't care how he does it, he doesn't care who he uses. He just wants to bring about a destruction of any kind of harmony. Next time you fight with a believer, you remember that. Next time you fight with your spouse, you remember that. Harmony is from heaven. Disharmony is from hell. Of course... (laughs) He is always looking to destroy your happiness. Whether it be through trying to convince you that your happiness is wrapped up in something carnal, or to focus your mind upon everything that is wrong just to make you miserable. (laughs) I mean, he wants to make you miserable. He knows something that many a Christian doesn't know. And that's the joy of the Lord is their strength. He also would seek to destroy our hallelujahs. Our praise. Mouths that open up to bless the Lord. Instead of being used to complain. About all that's wrong with my life. All that's wrong. All the faults and failings. And faults and failings of other people. Oh, life is so miserable. So we don't praise the Lord. We come to church on Sunday, open up the hymn book, and there we'll praise, but yeah, it's that song throughout the week that's missing. What's it really all about? What have I been describing? In one simple term, What I have been describing is the believer's holiness. It's all about his holiness. He hates holiness. Well now, that's his design. Now his defeat. Right. They overcame him. For all of his designs, for all of his strength, his deception, all that, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The first thing that statement tells me is that we will never be able to defeat the devil in our own strength. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Christ, by the word of their testimony, which is the gospel. We'll get to that in a moment. But it wasn't by their own strength. And so what I have to realize, what you have to realize continually, is that we can't fight, we can't win this war in our own strength. We're not going to win those battles in our own strength, because every believer is in and of himself or herself absolute weakness. Absolute weakness. If you want to get a sight of just how weak you really are when it comes to this matter of Christian warfare, overcoming the devil. Just ponder for a moment or two the power of Satan in history. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the Bible there in the Garden of Eden. There is Adam and Eve, sinless and perfect, loved God. But Eve, Eve, it's astounding, but she was so easily deceived by Satan. Easily. Easily. She bought the lie. And Adam was so easily persuaded to follow his wife in rebellion against God. Do you read of any argument that was put up? No. Adam's own, own mouth confessed, The woman gave me and I did eat. And that, there, there they were, perfect, perfect environment. If, if those two in a perfect environment with a perfect heart fell, who are we to think that we can stand in our own strength? Let me tell you something. It's not going to be because of your Bible reading, or because of your praying, or because of your hallelujahing. All that c- all those are needful, but it's not you. It's not your strength. Go on down in time and look at the Old Testament scenes, all of them, every one of them, the patriarchs, the godly kings, the prophets all of them fell prey to the devil's tactics. But what about your own experience? Well Why, why have you been duped by the devil on more than one occasion? Duped. What happened to the resolutions? that you made why have you so often found yourself in a place of repentance because you had to confess you fell to the temptation why are you sometimes attacked with the feelings of utter hopelessness and bordering on despair where you would just rather be dead than alive Something due to the fact that we're nothing more than weak earthen clay vessels, we have no might in ourselves for this battle with Satan, he's stronger than we are. I stress this fact that we can overcome Satan in our own strength, because it's only when that becomes a heart conviction, not just a point of theology, but a heart conviction that we look elsewhere for strength, that we get serious about looking elsewhere for strength. This is a spiritual battle. It's fought on a spiritual level. And therefore you can't depend on anything carnal, any arm of the flesh. You can't depend upon me, you can't depend upon your spouse, you can't depend upon your parents, you can't depend upon your children, and you certainly can't depend upon yourself. Did we in our own strength confide? Our fighting would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. the voice of the angel declares that they did overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So, this this victory over the devil, which was promised us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this victory will be won through the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. And they overcame him... Through the blood of the Lamb. How does that work out practically, folks? What does that look like in our, in our thinking and in our living? How do we get strength from that when the devil attacks and attacks and attacks... And seeks to destroy everything about our hope and our peace and our happiness and our praise, all those things. Well, number one, account, account, reckon it so, view it so, that Christ's victory over Satan through his death, through his blood, is your victory. Christ's victory is your victory. Remember the battle is in the mind? That's where you really fight it. It's in the mind. Satan is uh, striving for the control of the mind. And so I must use my mind. I got to think, reckon it so. This is true. Christ's victory over Satan and all of his power was won by his blood. And that victory is my victory. It's not a potential. Hmm. When he said finished, that's what he meant. It was finished. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 puts it like this. That through death he, that's Christ, might destroy him that had the power of death. That is, the devil. The power to destroy does not mean annihilate, but it means to render powerless and ineffective. Christ did that. And he did it for all of his people. So in other words, Christ has so completely vanquished the the devil by his death on the cross that the devil will not, and the devil cannot prevail over them. can't. Do you believe that? But, but preacher, you said he's so powerful, he's so subtle, he's so strong, he deceives, he distracts. And, and I can testify to, to his, the power of his temptations and he gets and, and tries to drag me down into misery and sadness and sin. I, I, I grant you that. But I'll tell you one thing, you're not going to stay there. You will not you will overcome because Christ has already overcome they overcame by the blood of the lamb one little word shall fell him that was luther's view of the whole matter yep all on earth is not as equal but the right man is on our side. Jesus Christ has shed his blood. The blood has purchased for us, has bought for us, secured for us everything that we're ever going to need to overcome Satan. He has been overcome. He's been, he's been dealt the death blow by Jesus Christ. It's the, as, as, as John Owen put it, the, the Puritan, it's the death of death in the death of Christ. He overcame him. So that means I overcame him in Christ. His victory is my victory. It's mine, and it's yours. And you don't have to live in fear that you're not going to overcome. You don't have to live in defeat. He's strong, but Jesus Christ is far stronger. Tell me, folks, what other hope do you have? Where is your source for a peace of mind and for comfort and for courage, for resolve to keep on fighting? Because Christ overcame... You and I will. I will never perish, and neither will you, if this Lamb is your Savior. As old Dr. Paisley used to say, I'm glad, and the devil's mad. That means you can overcome Satan's accusations by the blood of Christ. You see, this is the emphasis in this portion. The accuser and slanderer of the brethren, who accused them before God day and night, this is one of his chief works, is to bring accusations against the Lord's people. It's very true that the name devil means false accuser, slanderer. A slanderer is one who spreads lies about you, false accusations. But you and I really need to be honest. We give the devil plenty of ammunition to use against us in this war, he doesn't have to conjure up charges. He doesn't have to think for a while and figure out some false accusations to make against us. There are plenty of them there that are valid. He can accuse us, and rightfully so. We did this, it was wrong. We said that, we should not have said that. He knows your secret sins, you know. It's not just that the Lord knows them. But he knows them. Because he played a role in most of them. If not all of them. Sins that you had thought, forgotten all about. He brings back to your memory. You know what I mean? Out of the blue. Awful sins that I committed as a teenager just pop up into my mind. Out of the blue. And I am ashamed all over again. Ever since you became a Christian, he has taken note of Every failure, every temptation you succumb to, every evil word that came out of your mouth, every vile fault, every wicked deed. And when for whatever reason that you find yourself discouraged or depressed or defeated, he comes alongside at the worst possible moment and arraigns you in his court and reminds you your crimes against God and he tries to convince you of being a hypocrite, a counterfeit, maybe even an apostate. He's especially Skillful at reminding us of how often we have wandered away from the Lord, of how cold and dead we have been in prayer, of how little desire we have for the Lord, of how cold our love is. He would convince you that you are an absolute loser, that you are useless to the church, useless to your family, and you'd be better off dead. It's right then and there that the only thing that will overcome him is the blood of the Lamb. When Satan is roaring his accusations in your ears, And you feel so defeated, so discouraged, don't be ashamed to speak and tell the Lord Lord, I have an accuser. And so much of what he says is true. I haven't prayed. I haven't been in the Word. I've gotten caught up in things that are so useless, temporal. My heart is cold, Lord. It's all true. I have an accuser. But Lord, I have an advocate. I have Christ. Lord Jesus, speak for me. I plead your blood. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And what does our advocate plead? Our advocate pleads as the great high priest, his own blood. Father, forgive them, answer their prayer. I died for them, I shed my blood to bring them to glory. You promised me, I'm I'm paraphrasing your scripture. You promised me, you gave them to me, and if I went and I died in their stead and shed my blood, I would be given to me as a gift and I would bring them all to glory. Now, now, Father, they've wandered away. But I pray for them. They're mine. They're all mine. And I'm not going to lose one of them forgive them, restore their faith, restore their hope, restore their fellowship. I know of no other way to overcome the devil than that. Resolutions are good in their place, but they don't work as far as overcoming the devil. I can't look to my Consistency in prayer or the Word of God as the source for my overcoming the devil. It's the blood that he hates. He was defeated by that blood atonement. And this is what I must plead, and this is what you must plead. My uh, my study, if you were ever in my study before the staging took place, you wouldn't recognize it now. My children are all astounded that my study is so neat and clean. No clutter anywhere. Nothing on the walls. I used to have some verses and parts of a hymn. But I, I did manage to get some up in those empty bookcases that are there now I've wondered I wonder what these people think when they come into this room and they and they read this plaque the plaque that says though the restless foe accuses sins recounting like a flood every charge our God refuses Christ has answered with his blood I wonder what they think. Do you know how often over these last 17 years I have looked at that plaque, at the truth within it? When the accuser roars in my ears of ills that I have done? Jesus thy blood and righteousness my beauty are my glorious dress midst flaming worlds and these arrayed shall I with joy lift up my head that's how you overcome by the blood of the lamb Satan's defeat is also assured Through our witness to the blood of Christ and by the word of their testimony, literally by the word of their witness. God has saved you and me and left us in this world to be a witness to that atoning death of Christ, the shed blood. Not every Christian is called to be a preacher from the pulpit, but every Christian has been called to bear witness to this lost world and to the saints of the saving power of Christ crucified. Men might not want to talk with you about theology, but I've always found that if you can get a conversation going around the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary, they will listen. They will listen. Why was he there? That has the power to break the hardest heart to pieces, to save those from despair, and we witness to the blood of the lamb. It's the power to motivate the holy living for God's people. That's how we overcome this arch enemy. <laughs> and we shall overcome. Every last one of us people, no defeat. God read His Word on our hearts for His name's sake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord. Father in heaven, it's Thy Word that has power. It's the truth of the gospel that changes our lives, and we pray that as the gospel was declared tonight, there'll be grace given. The Spirit of God will bear witness with thy word in the hearts of those who've heard. Any child of thine that finds themselves overcome in their own soul, weighed down by defeat, despair, turn their eyes upon Calvary, we pray. Their eyes upon Jesus Christ, the victor, the conqueror. Send us from this place, Lord, rejoicing and resting, refreshed and ready to be witnesses of the power of the blood of the Lamb. It is in Christ Jesus' name that we pray all of this. Amen and amen.